If you would please take your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. I want to begin by just reading a couple of verses showing here the power of our Lord. Then you have ever seen some of these movies that supposedly depict Jesus on too many occasions, he's like some kind of a wuss. Just a limp. Never any emotion. That is not the Jesus of the Bible. Read with me, please, in verse 24. But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, This man casts out demons only by Beelzebub the ruler of demons. Now look over to verse 34. This is Jesus in response. You brood of vipers! How can you, being evil, speak what is good? For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. Now, skip over to chapter 23. Matthew 23. Look down to verse 13. Again, this is our Lord. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! Verse 15. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! Verse 16. Woe to you, blind guides! Our Lord Jesus Christ never backed off from telling people the truth. He never backed down, no matter how difficult, no matter how controversial, and no matter how offensive it may have been to some of His hearers. He was always direct. He was always to the point, and he was never, as we would say today, politically correct. He spoke pointedly to the scribes and to the Pharisees. It never mattered to Jesus if the quote unquote big wigs heard what he had to say. If he offended them, if he upset them, so be it. Jesus spoke the truth. He never held back from getting, as we say, right in the face of those religious leaders in His day. Right in the face of the scribes and the Pharisees. He did it all the time because they were the false teachers of the day twisting and misrepresenting the law of God and who God was. He never wavered from the truth. He never vacillated from His Gospel. He always told it, no matter how much it may have upset some of His hearers. He told the people the truth. He told the people what they needed to hear. Now make no mistake, 
He did so righteously, with righteous indignation. He did so lovingly, out of a genuine concern for what they needed to hear and what they needed to know. He did so in obedience to the Father. This is what the Father sent Him to do as the last great prophet to the world. Jesus came and told them the truth. You know sometimes that His apostles were maybe a little bit nervous when He did this. Do you know what you said to them? And I couldn't help but think as I was thinking about this that perhaps sort of like maybe when some of you get a little nervous when I say some things. I am not afraid to stand in the face of the false religions of the day, be it Rome or Islam or whatever else it may be. We need to know the truth. And that applies also to liberalism and the wishy-washy Easy believe gospel of the day. The health and wealth teaching so prevalent. That is why we're engaged in a series regarding the wrath of God, but really the beauty of wrath. But this was the practice of our Lord. You never see Him afraid to offend, afraid to tell the people, with boldness and fearlessness. This is what the Reformers were like. They stood before men, condemned Rome for its evils, and told the people the truth of God's Word. Some of them gave their lives for it, but they did it anyway. Because it's what men needed to hear then, and it is what men need to hear now. Why then? Do we have in our day so many so-called churches and so many so-called ministries who boldly and proudly proclaim that they will not speak about sin, they will not speak about the wrath of God or the judgment of God, they will not deal with these difficult things because they don't want to offend anybody. There used to be not too many years ago, in Clearwater or St. Pete, a place which was known as the first non-judgmental church. That was actually the name of the church. Last couple of days I tried to find it. I don't think it's there anymore. God judged them. This is the day in which we live. When pastors think that they're doing a service to people by standing in pulpits and just trying to be saccharine and nice. Maybe they shed a tear. Maybe they tell some jokes. But rather than teaching and preaching the Word of God, even if it will offend, is out of the question. We can't do that. We wrestle with some of these things. We bring some of these truths because their churches have shown over the years 
because of their weakness in the Word of God that our society is going down the tubes. So turn with me please in your Bibles again to the Gospel of Matthew as we continue in our study of the beauty of the wrath of God continuing on in what we have called the reality of wrath. Turn please to Matthew chapter 7. We began this study by looking at what we called the common conviction of our day. The common conviction of our day. From church to church, you hear that they teach, you need to be saved. That's the common conviction of the day. You need to be saved. But they never deal with saved from what? The only thing that you need to be saved from is the wrath of God. That is what salvation is. Saved from the wrath of God. That's the common conviction. We then went on to look at the chronicle of the concept. It is taught throughout the entire Old Testament that God will judge. We see that in the Scripture in various places. And now we are looking at what we have called the Christian concept of the wrath of God. And we began last Lord's Day to look at the clear teaching of our Lord. This is what Jesus taught. We saw in Matthew chapter 5 that He spoke of the fiery hell after speaking several times about heaven. He then mentioned the fiery hell. And here in chapter 7, I just draw your attention again to what He says in these verses in 21 and following. Not everyone who says to Me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but He who does the will of My Father who is in heaven. Many will say to Me in that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in Your name and in Your name cast out demons and in Your name perform many miracles? And I will declare to them, I never knew You. Depart from Me, you who practice lawlessness. This is Jesus. The sweet, Loving, merciful, gracious Jesus. The one who, in the end of this chapter, when He was finished teaching, they all said He is amazing because He is teaching as one having authority. This is what He said! That there will be a time when men will be told to depart from Him. And it will be those who do not know Him. And the only way, the only way that He gave in this passage to show that you know Him is that you are the one who does the will of the Father who is in heaven. It's not that you raised your hand and got saved in a church 20 years ago or 50 years ago or 2 years ago. It's the one who is even now doing the will of the Father. That is the only indication that He gives for one to whom He will not say, Depart from Me, ye accursed. This is the Word of the Lord. Turn now, if you would, please, to chapter 12 as we continue 
those we call the most horrible words a man could ever hear. I want to now see some of the clear teaching of our Lord on this subject here in Matthew chapter 12. Look down to verse 34. Matthew chapter 12. This is what I read to you a little while ago. Jesus addressing those scribes and Pharisees as they said to Him that He was casting out demons by Beelzebub, the ruler of demons. He goes on to address that issue and summarizes the whole thing and comes down to verse 34 and says to them, You brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak of of what is good? For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. The good man, out of his good treasure, brings forth what is good. The evil man, out of evil treasure, brings forth what is evil. And I say to you that every careless word that men shall speak, they will render account for it in the day of judgment. Before we look at what Jesus is speaking about, make no mistake. He's talking about a day which will come. And that day will be a day of judgment. And you read about it in the Scriptures. When men stand before Him, and as a shepherd puts the sheep on one side and the goats on the other, He will put the sheep to His right and the goats to His left. And the sheep will be with Him in, in glory. And the goats are those who, to whom He will say, Depart. This is the day of judgment. Did our Lord teach that there was a day of judgment? He sure did. Now, I mentioned last week that it's wrong to suggest that Jesus spoke more of judgment than He did of heaven. That is not the case. But He sure did speak of judgment a lot. It is part of the Gospel. It is such a vital part of the Gospel. Why would you be saved if everybody goes to heaven? Why would you strive to enter that narrow gate if it didn't matter if you were on the broad road or the narrow road if everybody just goes to heaven? The beauty of wrath is that you will never experience it. But if there was no wrath, if there was no justice, we'd all be the same. We'd all go to heaven or whatever. But the beauty of wrath is that we've been saved from it. But make no mistake, Jesus taught that there is a judgment coming. A judgment is coming. And this is what He says to them in this text. That they will give an account on the day of judgment. For by your words you shall be justified and by your words you shall be condemned. So He speaks of justification and condemnation in the day of judgment. Now I went through this and I wanted to consider just briefly some of what Jesus is talking about because I think there may be some misconceptions. And I just really had to to come back to this text. I was just going to pass over it, but I wanted to come to this text and deal with it a little bit this morning in our worship service. The, The justification that He speaks of there is the pardoning 
of your sins, which comes from Jesus. There is the beauty in the midst of wrath. That you will be justified. And for you, there will be no condemnation. Now, on the other hand, the condemnation that he speaks about is the wrath of God, which he will pour out upon all impenitent people. For all the lost, that's going to happen. So there will be, in accordance with your words, either condemnation or justification. In accordance with your words. Because that's what he says in the text. I say to you, every careless word that a man shall speak, they shall render account for it in the day of Judgment. They shall render account. Now we know from the text that our Lord is not suggesting that you shall be saved because you speak well. I have never rendered a careless word and therefore I will go to heaven. You think that's what He's saying? That is not what He's saying. And I'm going to show you that. That's why I had to come back. I wanted to show you that that's not what Jesus is saying. Nor is He saying that any Christian who might render a careless word shall be condemned to hell. So if you said something bad yesterday, and you all did, there's no hope for you. There would be no hope for any of us. That is not what is being spoken of in this text. And to understand what he is saying, we need to kind of back up and realize that he is speaking of not just what they say, but their actions and where what they say comes from and where their actions come from. And that's why I started in verse 34. You brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak what is good? For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. Understand, that goes both ways. The mouth speaks out of that which comes from the heart. You will either speak good from a good heart or evil from an evil heart. That's why he goes on to speak about the treasure. He said, out of the good treasure he brings forth what is good, and the evil man out of an evil treasure brings forth what is evil. I want you to picture in your mind two piles of stuff. One pile is gold and silver, and you can even put with that precious stones, and you can put with that, let's say, a fine Meal, good stuff in every way, shape, and form. But on the other hand, you have a pile of rotting, stinking, rusting metal or food or junk. Just stench, mold, horrible. This is the picture that Jesus is depicting. You've got good treasure. And from that good treasure comes forth goodness out of your mouth and your actions. Or you had this stinking, rotting pile of heaping garbage. And out of that 
is what evil people speak. Because that's a picture of what? Their heart. How do you get this heart of good stuff? Good treasure. And how do you get rid of this stinking, rotting, garbage heart? That is the issue. That is the question. It all comes from your heart. And people who have a heart that is just and righteous and pure before God bring forth from that goodness, holiness, godliness, pure speech, godly lives. And those who have a heart that hates God bring forth from that heart evil and wickedness like the scribes and Pharisees. Which heart do you have? And how can you get that good heart? I want to ask you to turn with me to that famous passage in Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 36 that speaks right to this. Ezekiel 36. Ezekiel speaking. God speaking through Ezekiel. Verse 24, And I will take you out from the nations and gather you from the lands and bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new Spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. There are several things that we take, several elements of the saving work of God spoken of by the prophet here. And I'd like to look at just a few of them. We note, first of all, that he is speaking of the new heart. We often talk about that. We often talk about the fact that it is the Christian who has the new heart. The heart of stone is taken out and the heart of flesh is put in. This is this passage. This is what this passage is talking about. Those whom God loves, He puts in a new heart. Those who love God have a new heart put in them. But I did want, I sort of given it away already, but notice who does it. Notice that in every way and in every case, it is God who does it. Even if you back up to what He said about sprinkling them with clean water, I will sprinkle you with clean water. And I will cleanse you from your filthiness. You can't cleanse yourself from your filthiness. In fact, we know from Isaiah that all your righteousness is still as filthy rags. I always hesitate to even mention what that is in the Hebrew. Because we're in mixed company and with children. But that's a very vivid picture of filth. Filthy rags. That's your righteousness. But God 
can cleanse you from your filthiness and from your idols. And then He says, I will give you a new heart and put it within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from you. And I will give you a heart of flesh. This is the work of God. The work of God. To give men a new heart. People, this is radical transplant surgery. Radical transplant heart surgery. Heart transplant surgery. And it's God who says that He's the surgeon. I will. I will. I will. Let me ask you this. What would a patient be like who had a heart of stone? Right right there. Peg, you've been in the medical field. My wife's been in the medical field. Kim works in the medical field. What would a man be if he had a heart of stone? Dead. Absolutely, unequivocally, dead. Any man with a heart of stone would be a dead man. That is the picture. And it is God who takes out a heart of stone and puts in a heart of flesh. So what kind of a surgeon do you need? I couldn't do it. (laughs) I don't know of any surgeon who could. Get a dead man to live again. So you need a supernatural surgeon, if I can say that reverently. You need a supernatural, radical heart transplant from someone who can take you from dead to alive. This is the same picture that the Apostle Paul uses in Ephesians chapter 2. You are dead in your trespasses and in your sins. But oh, thank God, He makes you to live. You need God to take out the heart of stone and put in the heart of flesh. I can't do it. No preacher can do it. No preacher, no pastor, no evangelist, no missionaries can change anyone's heart. No mother, no father, no husband, no wife can change anyone's heart and make someone who is dead to be alive. It has to be the powerful work of the Creator God who made you in the first place to make you to live. Only He can make the dead to live. Now, look further at this text as He also says, and this is something that is sometimes missed, as He says in this text, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. So what happens to the man, to the woman, to the boy or to the girl to whom God puts in this new heart? Well, they have a 
new spirit within them as well. It's not that you get another soul, but you have within you the Spirit of the living God who takes up residence in you. And you live for Him in your life. As you have the Spirit of God indwelling you, as you have the Holy Spirit indwelling you, you are, as Paul teaches in the book of Romans, those who are led by the Spirit. So that means that your lives will reflect this new heart. So when you have a heart of flesh, what will you say? Pure things. Holy things. Things that will honor and glorify God. What will you do? You will live holy lives. God-honoring lives. Things that will honor God. I want to ask you to turn with me to John chapter 4 real quick. John chapter 4. Just kind of keep what we saw here, that He will take out the heart of flesh, or heart of stone rather, and put in the heart of flesh. And He will put a new spirit within you. Here in John's Gospel in chapter 4, we have our Lord Jesus Christ speaking to the woman at the well. Most of you will remember the encounter. But I'm going to just skip down to verse 21 where Jesus says to her, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem shall you worship the Father. You worship that which you do not know. We worship that which we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be His worshipers. What did we read in Jeremiah that you get when God puts in a new heart? A new spirit. So when we speak about worshiping God in spirit and in truth, it is not going like this. Oh, we're worshiping God in spirit. Oh, because we have our hands raised and we dance. That's not what it means to worship God in spirit. It means to worship God from a heart that is alive and a spirit that hungers and thirsts toward the God who put that heart of flesh in your being. That's what it speaks of when it speaks of worshiping in spirit. Men and women who have a heart toward the living God and hunger for the truth of the living God. That's worshiping in spirit and in truth. And such worshipers the Father desires. Now go back to our text in Matthew chapter 12. So when our Lord says here in Matthew chapter 12 and verse 37, by your words you shall be justified and by your words you shall be condemned, He's speaking of being in conformity with the things of your heart. Being in conformity with what your heart is like. If you love God, 
you love His Word, if you have a heart of flesh that is beating in you, what comes out of your mouth and how you live your life will be in conformity to that heart. And if you do not, if you do not love God, it will be evidenced by what you say and what you do. In other words, they are showing what kind of heart they have when they say such things as, He casts out demons by Beelzebub! They hated Jesus. They didn't want this man to ruin their lives, their way of life. They hated Jesus and they hated His Word. And what we want to be are those who love Jesus and who love His Word. So, He is not saying that we are saved by our words or our works. What He is saying is that our words and our works reflect whether or not we're saved. If you have a new heart, it will be seen. If you have an evil heart, it too will be seen. I've I've got to say it. Can you ever understand the wickedness of this carnal Christian nonsense being taught in churches? Churches are teaching that you can be saved but still live like the lost. Well, they just say, well, he's a carnal Christian. He got saved. He made a decision. He came down the aisle. But he's a carnal Christian. He still lives like the lost. But he made a decision for Jesus. That is so totally opposite of what Jesus is even here saying. If you're saved, your words, your life will reflect And if they don't, make no mistake, according to Jesus, you will be condemned. By your words, you are either justified or by your words, you are condemned. It's by your life. It's by the heart that is in you. You are either justified or condemned. Now, their pastor may not condemn them. Oh, that's good old Joe. Yeah, yeah. He got saved 20 years ago, but he still lives like a drunk or an evil guy or whatever. That's good old Joe. He's, He's going to heaven because he made a decision. The pastor may not condemn him. But God knows your heart. God knows your heart. Whether you have a heart of flesh or a heart of stone. And I have to say again, I I don't want anyone to think that I'm saying that if some guy sins, if, if one sins... No, no, no. It's not saying that if you say a bad word or if you do a sin here or there that you are condemned. No, 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 no. Even people with good hearts battle against sin. Genuine Christians fight against sin. But I will tell you this. Never surrender to it. Always keep fighting. God knows your frame, but you are but dust. But the real question is, do you have that heart 
of flesh. The heart towards God. It gives you the Spirit of the living God. A Spirit which longs to worship God. It longs to be with God's people in worship and to hear the truth of God's Word in worship. All of this, Jesus says, has to do with the day of judgment. There will be a day of judgment. Is your heart right for that day? Is your heart right to stand before Jesus with judgment day honesty and you're before the throne? Will you hear Him say, Depart from Me! I never knew you! Your heart is still stone! Or will you hear Him say, Welcome my son. Welcome my daughter. Welcome my child into the glory prepared for you by Jesus because your heart is right with God. What people is your heart like? Which will you receive? Will you receive justification or condemnation? This is life and death. I pray that for each one in this place, you will study this passage, that you will study this teaching, that you will know for certain that there is a day coming that Jesus called Judgment Day. And each of us will give an account. The one with the pure heart won't stand before Him like those in chapter 7 and say, Lord, Lord, listen, I did all this stuff. I went to church. I sang in the choir. I, I taught Sunday school. I was a deacon. All this stuff. Lord, Lord, did I not do this? And Lord, Lord, did I not do that? You know who's going to say those things? The guy with the heart of stone. And what will the guy with the heart of flesh say? I am unworthy. I do not deserve your glory. I do not deserve the place prepared for me. But it is my Savior Jesus whose righteousness I plead. He has cleansed me and made me whole. He has put in a heart of flesh and His Spirit dwells in me. And oh, Father, I am unworthy. But Your Son has paid my debt. And the Father will say to that one, Welcome. Because of the work of the Son, because of the work of His Son, our Savior. Are you ready? This is the teaching of our Lord Jesus, that there will be a day of judgment. There's much more, much more, even in the next chapter, 
that Jesus speaks. I hoped to get to it today, but the time is too far gone. Next Sunday, Lord willing, we will continue on and just see some of the things that Jesus says. And the next one is so pointed. It is so clear. But once again, I I know that it's not easy. I know to talk about wrath and the judgment. But it's biblical. I hope it does offend you. I hope it upsets you. I hope it gets you thinking and wondering. Because I want you there in that day to hear Jesus say, Welcome into my kingdom. That is what it's all about. We preach God's Word and pray that His Spirit would pierce your heart with it. Let's pray.